Welcome to Uncontained, episode 95. I'm your host, Aaron Static Render, and on the show today, my guest came highly recommended from a recent guest of mine, Danny T. Levin, and I am glad he recommended her. She's got a great story, including seven years. Seven years of her childhood was spent sailing around the world on a boat. Uh, she's had songs featured on My Name is Earl, Ugly Betty has a new single out, a couple new singles out actually, that I'll play for you here on the show. I have a great conversation with my guest Sarah Dashu today, and I think you will enjoy it as well. And as I promised, I have a couple tracks coming your way, one before the show and then a bonus track after the show, so make sure you listen to the whole episode. And uh, also, Christmas season, yes, it's coming up, and... uh, You can help support the show by going to Amazon.com through the banner at the top of UncontainedPod.com. Do all your Christmas shopping there, or you can also give the gift of Uncontained for the holidays. T-shirts, mugs, bags, you name it, even stickers, they're there at TeePublic.com. But I won't keep you from the show any longer. It's a fun one with Sarah Dashu. But before we get into the show, here is her single, Shattered. Oh, say can you see By the dawn's early light All the bombs that keep dropping All the targets inside Take charge and take cover There's nothing you could have done Nobody listens Everybody runs Sing out hallelujah Sing hell to the chief Sing out while you're drowning While you're barking at the thief While you're crawling on your belly Refusing to succumb Nobody listens Everybody runs At all, 
Uncontained. I'm your host, Aaron Static Render, and on the show today, I talk to musician Sarah Dashu. How are you doing today, Sarah? And uh, thank you for joining me here on Uncontained. I am doing well, and thank you for having me. Let's yeah. let's talk. Yes, let's do this. So uh, I found out about you through a past guest of mine, just recent guest actually, uh, Danny T. Levine, and. Um, he recommended that I have you on the show, so I was like, all right, let's do this. I listened to some of your music, and I was like, ah, oh, that's very cool. You have a very – I pick up, like, a blues background in in your music. Am I out of line saying that? 
I don't think you're out of line at all. I don't think you'd be out of line with any background, actually. Um, but I love it. I'll take the blues. Yeah, any day of the week. I grew up listening to everything. My dad and mom had records that ran the gamut from, you know, Led Zeppelin to Tito Puente, Chuck Berry, Muddy Waters, Janis Joplin, uh, and a bunch wow. of stuff in between. So, um, and then in college, I sang in this uh, Pentecostal gospel choir, a multicultural Pentecostal gospel choir, okay. <laughs> um, and listened to a ton of hip hop. Uh, and then moved to Austin, Texas, where I played a lot of, you know, alt country, Texas rock before making my way back to Los Angeles in the early 2000s. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of influence there. Hopefully what ends up coming out is mine, but yeah, yeah there's some clues for sure. All right, cool. So, uh, you were talking about your childhood growing up. I, I saw something very interesting in your bio. Mm -hmm. You grew up on the sea. That is correct. So that is correct. You sailed around, didn't have a TV, and just uh, listened to music and read a lot of books. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, what was that like? What was that childhood like? Uh, how many years do you have? Um, <laughs> if we want to turn this into a therapy session. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it was extraordinary. We spent, so I have one sister who's three years older. My father's a boat builder, boat designer. And when I was four, we left and sailed around the world for seven years. Um, wow. and it was incredible to, to experience how large and how small the world is from the age of four opens your eyes, I think, and gives you perspective that's probably unequaled anywhere else. Um, and full of amazing adventures and wonder and, um, but also challenging, you know, all the challenges that you would think would come with that, you know, anxiousness, bad weather, yeah. always saying goodbye, um, never feeling like you belong anywhere um, yearning for a, a home of your, a nest, you know, a place to put down roots. Those things were all very real too. So yeah, it's an interesting, I mean, sparks a lot of creativity. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I can yeah. imagine. I was just thinking like with, uh, being just in the middle of the sea and not being able to really go anywhere, you know, you'd have plenty of free time to, practice an instrument uh, or pretend you're a pirate or something like that. I did a lot of, actually we read, so we would have, my mom, is a, she was a teacher actually before we left. And so she taught us and, but, but she was also, we would always have a book, a family book that we would have ongoing. So every afternoon we'd have story hour and it was a book that the, my mom would be reading out loud, but we would do it as a family along with all our other books that we read to ourselves. Okay. And so it might be, um, you know, King Arthur, it might be, uh, Swiss family Robinson, treasure Island. Um, so, um, so that captured the imagination a lot. And then, I was really into playing make-believe. And for some reason, my parents were really into this Western author called Louis L'Amour. Okay. He wrote this very short, <laughs> you know, tall, lanky cowboys with the, 
slender hips and broad shoulders who come into town and they don't want to have to rescue everybody, but it's in their nature and they do. And then they settle down <laughs> with a woman and have a ranch. And so I would play Louis L'Amour. Inevitably, I was always like, you know, the cowboy. And if the sail was down, I would ride on the boom and that would be my horse. And as we're going into the, you know, tropical pass and the lagoon. And <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we did a lot of that. Right, I'm very cool. So, do you think being at sea as a child helped stim your interest in becoming a musician? Um, I think it's very hard to say, Aaron, one way or the other, because that was my only childhood. So, I don't know if it would have happened otherwise, but I didn't have an otherwise. Um, I do know that music was embedded in pretty much every aspect of our life because we were always listening to tapes. And then whenever we got to where we were going, the cruising community in general, but the other people who were traveling on boats would usually get together for potlucks and campfires on the beach and there would be jams and sing-alongs. And then whatever you know, local people lived there would sometimes get involved and then you get a chance to hear their music and, you know... I mean, I have this vivid Im memory of being four years old and we were in Takaroa in the Tuamotos in French Polynesia. And it was during FET time, which always happened around Bastille Day. What and, is FET time? Oh, well, FET is, it's a French word for party. Okay. But, um, so it's like two weeks of festivals, basically, and and celebrating Polynesian culture, but with kind of a French culture twist. Um, but being at this, at this big party and everybody, it was probably 200 people, like the whole village singing these Tamare songs, you know, these Polynesian dance songs and dancing and singing perfectly in like six part harmonies that are just imprinted in the DNA. Wow. That sounds like a good time getting uh, together with everybody with all that music going on and groups coming together and just sharing the music. So how old were you when you started uh, playing music? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, well, uh, on the boat, I did a lot of um, banging on empty oatmeal cans and um, shaking maracas and uh, tambourines and stuff, playing air guitar. All right. uh, and um, I didn't play a real instrument until we, we moved back on land uh, right when I was about 11. And I started taking piano lessons. And unfortunately... Uh, I hate to, uh, you know, say anything bad about music teachers at all, but it seems <laughs> like every piano teacher I ever had was sort of crazy. Um, no my way. First piano teacher, very. My, <laughs> my first piano teacher was a prototypical spinster, um, told me I was going to hell if I listened to Michael Jackson, which really upset me because Thriller had just come out and I was enjoying it. I had the tape and I loved it. I think that was actually uh, my first record too. Like I had, I had it on vinyl actually. Nice. Yeah. So, so then, you know, eventually I dropped it and then I, I didn't pick up guitar until I was in college. I was studying abroad in Spain and I had been singing and I was starting to write and I, I, you know, I felt, I felt constrained or contained. Uh, <laughs> 
by my lack of ability to, to, to write, you know, with melody and everything. And so I, I started taking guitar lessons and it went from there. All right, great. So like you went from as a kid, I can just picture it in my head, you banging on the oatmeal cans, uh, like playing, uh, playing basically the percussion section on on the boat in the boat parties and, and going to developing your musical skill up into uh playing guitar recording albums and uh releasing singles and you did make a change in the way that you release your music right because i know in the past you've done albums but mm-hmm. now you're taking a different approach at that what are you doing different nowadays um well so yeah, I I mean I have a lot of new songs and that I I wanted to record many of them. Um but there were several reasons for deciding to do a one at a time approach and that is um first of all, you know, there's budget constraints sometimes. Um and second of all, I had a few that felt timely and it felt like they needed to to come out. I needed to release them. And third, I feel like we are in some ways still kind of blindly loyal to to the idea of the LP, the long album as sacrosanct. And it's not that long of a tradition. Yeah. And, you know, up until the advent of the long play vinyl, that didn't exist. You couldn't you couldn't have eight or nine or ten songs in one fell swoop. It was always singles based. And before that, it was, you know, live performance and and passed down with oral history. And um, so I don't really subscribe to the notion that it's impossible to to have a, a real journey and a, a real um, theme and evocative and effective piece of art that's that's three minutes and 42 seconds long. I I think that that's not only possible, but sometimes more impactful. I also love albums. I grew up on albums and I love the, the, the process of putting a series of songs together to create that journey and to talk about whatever it is that that journey represents to you at that time in your life over the course of many songs. But I but I don't believe that that's the only way to do it. And so, you know, I mean, and there's just so much competition for hearing anything these days. I just got tired of thinking so much about it. And I just thought, ah, oh, screw it. Let's just start throwing, you know, like spaghetti <laughs> against the wall. Let's yeah. see if something sticks. And if something sticks, great. And if not, at least I got to throw it against the wall. So, yeah. And, you know, that's always fun throwing spaghetti at the wall, you know. Yeah. And most of the time when it is right, it does stick. But. Do you think the reason that we're moving more towards a single-based uh, release structure for CDs has to do with, uh, say, the ADD and shortening of the tension span of our culture and the need for instant gratification instead of waiting for two years between albums, people can get a constant stream of stuff? Yes, absolutely. But I also think that and yeah, and there's so much more competition now because you've got 8,000 channels plus social media, plus video games, plus live human interaction. And so it's tough to do something every two years and not slip through the cracks for sure. Um, at the same time, I think that people have shown that, you know, 
they can have a very long focused attention span if there's something that they're connecting to. You know, I feel like live music, music festivals, it's bigger than ever. People are craving that human engagement. Um, You know, we're more than willing to sit for 10 hours and binge watch Stranger Things or whatever (laughs) series is available for 12 hours straight if it's well done. Yes, definitely Um, guilty of binge watching the Stranger Things. Oh, for sure. Although I haven't done the second season, so don't, yeah, no spoilers. I'll, I'll just, I'll just, there's strange things that happen. Right? Are, there stra- <laughs> are they stranger than the other strange things? They, some of them are stranger. Some of them are just as strange, but they are strange things. I, I don't want to spoil it for you, though. I don't want to spoil okay. it for you. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's a weird, I, we're living in a kind of a strange time. I think it's this, like, we have our feet in in two different ways of life. So it's like, on the one hand, I feel like we, we, we're still craving human interaction and real engagement, and we're more than willing to put our focused attention on something if it captures us and we connect with it. On the other hand, I feel like um, we have snippet attention spans. And I, I'll never forget, I was, I think it was like 10 or 11 years ago, I was in New York visiting my niece who was in college. And I'm, I'm quite a bit older than she is. And I mean, I'm not like that. Like <laughs> don't, don't date yourself here. Don't date yourself. <laughs> but anyway, context, I just turned 45. So which for the music world is like 187. And I'm very proud of it. <laughs> so anyway, my cousin is uh, quite a few years younger than I am. And, um, about 11 years ago and the iPod was all the rage and we were riding the subway together. We were going somewhere. She was home from college on a break and I was in New York visiting and, um, we're riding the subway and she was wanting to show me some songs that she liked on her iPod. And she gave me, you know, one of her earbuds and she had one of her earbuds and she could only get through like 20 seconds of each song before she's like, now check this one out. Now check this one out. Now check this one out. <laughs> And I literally looked at her and I went, oh, dear God, what is wrong with you? Like, can I please just listen to one song? And I realized in that moment, everything is changing. This is a completely different generation and a totally different world. And you just have to embrace it because that's the way it is. Change happens whether you like it or not. Yeah, definitely. So um, and and to as a artist, you got to pay attention to that and, uh, you know, adapt or else get left behind. Right. And but interestingly enough, people do have attention spans because we'll sit and binge watch, you know, 18 year olds or 40 year olds will sit and binge watch, you know, an entire season of Stranger Things or whatever may catch our attention if it's high quality and will and will and will will be completely absorbed in it and and live music festivals they're they're bigger than ever people i think still crave something to really capture their attention in the midst of all this distraction perhaps we need it even more it's just that it sometimes has to be in a different format maybe it needs to be face to face live or as opposed to just you know an album here and there yeah, definitely. Uh, do you find the live music scene changing as you are uh, touring or no? 
Um, that's hard for me to say because I haven't done a ton of touring. I've been playing mostly in LA the last few years, but I will say that my taste for hit has changed, that my craving to play a longer show has come back where, you know, when I, when I lived in Austin, uh, Texas, I spent five years there playing music and I would play four or five nights a week and, you know, two hour shows, three hour shows. And that was the norm. It's a big live music town. And when I moved out to Los Angeles, it was more of an industry town. And the live music was more like, you know, four or five, six bands in a night and you play a 40 minute set and everybody files in to see your set and then files back out and then files in to see the next set. And it was a different kind of a thing. It was more like a showcase like, here you go, cram everything, your best stuff into this 40 minutes, and then bam, it's done. And over the last few years, I really missed doing those long shows where you had the chance to just kind of jam and yeah. have a great time. And so I started playing this dive bar in the valley called Ireland, this, this pub called Ireland's 32, where, where we have the, the stage from nine to one, which is actually a little too long. It's exhausting. <laughs> you can ask Danny because he's been playing with me all these shows with, with my band. And okay. um, by the end of the night, it's a little bit like, okay, here we go. We're going to finish it up. But it's also really beautifully exhausting, you know, because you're because you are, you're experiencing something live and for real and you can touch it and it's tangible and it makes you feel something. So yes, long answer to your short question. No, I've that... noticed it changed for me. Okay. All right. Yeah. That it's cool to like kind of hear how, you know, the industry is changing and how performances are changing and how people consume things. Cause it's harder to get people to commit to getting up off of their couch. As you mentioned, binging with Netflix and everything to actually go out somewhere and consume something. I was just wondering if uh, you noticed that at all in uh, your performance or no. God, I'm going to have to think about that. I don't know. All right, no worries. So the three you've recorded three singles, right? Recently? Yes. And uh I, I know Shattered is online right now. Shattered is on all the services. You name it, it's on it. All right. Spotify, YouTube, and iTunes, iTunes Bandcamp. Rhapsody, Deezer, Shooby Doobie. there's like hundred and eighty seven different Is there really a Shooby Doobie? No, I just made that up. Okay, I was like, I, I don't think I heard of that one. That one, it sounds like it could be a real one, but <laughs> maybe there is. I don't think so. It's catchy. Maybe, maybe you should start one. Oh no, I'm gonna compete with title. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, on those tracks, though, uh, Danny has been on all of those, correct? Yeah, Danny has been on everything that I've recorded since 2009. Oh wow! Okay, so yeah. so you guys go way back then and yes. play with each other live and stuff like that. So that that's cool. Um, I, I call him my brother in arms. Your brother in arms. I think you mentioned lieutenant as well. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, actually, I call him a lot of things. <laughs> I call some things I'm not going to say on the podcast. But. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, you know, I, it's good to have those nicknames between friends. <laughs> so uh, he's a really special guy. So the new one that you did uh, with Danny and uh, you just shot a video for down in uh, Miami, correct? Correct. About last night. What is what? It, what is it about last night? What is it about last night? 
it's about a lot. <laughs> um, the context actually comes from um, uh, being on a boat and, and seeing the stars and the lines and the water and the isolation that you can feel sometimes and the beauty of it at the same time. Um, it's also about how we choose to live. It's about how we choose to be as victims or as survivors or as warriors or as lovers. Um, and it's also a little bit about our country. I, I'm going through this phase right now where I feel like we are reflecting the world in our personal lives more than ever and that yeah. the world is becoming more and more reflected from our personal lives um, more extremely than in the past, or maybe I'm just noticing it more extremely than in the past. Um, so that is what about last night is. Um, at the end, there's this sort of this denouement part where I, where I sing, um, take off your shroud and rise, our holy lady of motherhood, our lady of sacrifice of all that's good, uncover yourself, uncover yourself and rise. And as the, like everything is sort of swelling. Okay. And I think I just mixed that up. I, 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 I made sacrifice and motherhood I transpose them. Whatever. You get okay. Well, it, it was a live and performance, interpretation. <laughs> you know, it's your own interpretation of your own work. So, you know, yeah. nobody's going to get mad at you. <laughs> and I was really, I was thinking more of myself when I was writing it. Um, but when I was listening back to it, I was like, oh, my God, it's like the Statue of Liberty. And then somebody started laughing. It was like, all right, let's 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 bring it down a step. <laughs> Don't get too ahead of yourself. <laughs> But the video that I shot was just, I'm, I'm staying in this house right now that has this big pool and there's a giant um, plastic flamingo that's floating in the pool and the pool's not heated and it's too big to heat. So, um, <laughs> but you can float. And so I just went out in my clothes floating on this giant plastic flamingo singing this very serious song, which I thought was kind of hysterical because I think it's sort of like this perfect commentary on what's happening this year in this world there's like you can be so serious with like while sit like being in this ridiculous setting yeah so i don't know take from it what you will i had a good time with it but um and actually i just put that up on youtube yesterday okay great i'll have to check that out so it's called about last night the videos up on youtube and yep. they'll be able to check that out when this comes out for sure now you mentioned it's about being on a boat as well. So does that go back to you? Are you pulling from experiences as from your childhood or? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm always pulling from experiences from my childhood. I think we're, we all are. Um, full disclosure, I was a sociology major in college, so it's almost as bad as being a psychology major. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but actually, I was physically on a boat. My, my, my parents still have boats. Um, they're still involved in the boat business. And I was actually on their boat uh, in Key West in April on this, you know, very starry night with the sliver of moon. And, and so that's where some of the lines came from was recently not from childhood. OK. All right. Cool. Would you ever uh, go back out on a boat again for multiple years? No. No? Okay. <laughs> You're like, I've done that. I've done that. I like <laughs> I land too much. Yeah, I did it. Well, there's so many things to do that I haven't done. 
That that is and true. So I get seasick. I always did. I always have. Really? I get seasick. So it's challenging. Yeah. I can imagine that must have been rough being out there for like seven years. You said. Yeah. Wow. And getting yeah. seasick. That that that'd be That's no fun. I'd be like, uh, can we go to land now? Uh- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You get your sea legs after a while. It's just that every time you would take off on a passage, you have to get them again. Oh, okay. It's, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So now what advice would you give to people who are either looking to get started out as a musician Mm. or, you know, maybe take their uh, career to the next step? Well, I think it depends on what you're talking about, Aaron. If you're talking about somebody who wants to be a songwriter um, and a singer, because that's different than being a session musician. I was listening to your podcast with Danny, for example, and he's he's a really rare diamond because yeah. he's a classical composer and he's a session musician and he's a songwriter and he, you know, he's sort of everything. Um, I am not. I am a singer songwriter. Um, I, I facilitate my main instrument are, is my voice and my tools are my words. And I have a good ear for music and for melody, I think. Um, but I am not a great musician. I would say that I'm a damn good singer and a damn good songwriter. Okay. Um, and it's taken me many years to be able to say that without, you know, kind of rolling my eyes and then going, but seriously folks, but um, um, so, what I would say is that I could give advice for people who want to be songwriters um, and singers. And that advice would be the very first thing I would say to do. And I didn't learn this until I was many years into it. And I think I, I missed out because of it, um, which is what my mentor taught me. Um, this guy named Chuck Plotkin, who is um, a beautiful, beautiful guy. Um, he produced Bruce Springsteen and Bob Dylan for years and years. And, um, When I met him, he said, here's what you have to do. Stop writing your own stuff all the time. Go listen to the songs that break your heart and make you feel things that you could never feel on your own and learn to play those songs. Okay. And when you can play those songs, they are going to imprint themselves on you and in your sleep and in your subconscious. And the structure and the emotion and the rhythms and the phrasings of those songs, all the things that combine to turn it into this beautiful jewel that breaks your heart, it's going to teach you how to do that. Okay, so there is some merit to uh, like learning some covers first, opposed to just jumping in beyond, and trying to write your own. Beyond. Now, if you can't wait because you have to write your own stuff, write your own stuff, but learn to play the songs that you love. Don't just learn to play covers for the sake of playing covers because somebody said, you ought to really play Def Leppard because everybody goes nuts for Pour Some Sugar on Me. (laughs) If Pour Some Sugar on Me does not break your heart, then who cares? Yeah, or at least give you that like, hell yeah feeling. Yeah. When I say break your heart, I don't mean make you cry. What I mean is it opens you up. Okay. It makes you feel. I should, yeah, I should probably go back and explain that when i say break your heart i mean break it open okay 
makes sense. Makes sense. I thought yeah. I was taking it more literally, like no, yeah. you got you got to learn to play songs that. that make you cry as you're like yeah. strumming I, that chord. I do mean, but I do mean that too. It's yeah. just that I feel like we always judge one thing as bad and another thing as good. Yeah, laugh, crying, or the or they're they're two expressions of the same thing. I think, and I, I don't care how cliche the song is or how how annoying someone else might think it. If it's something that speaks to you and makes you feel something learn it play it and then put it away don't okay. try to dissect it don't try to analyze it don't try to go well what is it about the song structure you know <laughs> no. we, we we spend so much time in our lives trying to examine the rules and the formulas and that's not what i'm talking about at all i'm talking about the visceralness the structure will take care of itself okay awesome awesome so uh basically in other words, play the songs that connect with you the most. Learn to play them, and then they'll wear a, they'll they'll burn their imprint into you as you start writing your own music. Amen. All right. <laughs> so, so now that we got the advice, what do you do to promote yourself? Do you use like social media in a special way, or face to face promotion? Um, for me, I think it's different for everybody. Um, social media is a given. That's a must. Um, you have to connect and you have to connect on a regular basis. And I don't know the secrets. I don't know why some people just get out there and everybody just flips out over their postings. And then some people get out there all the time and nobody does. Um, it's a wild mystery to me. Um, some people connect better face to face. I'm one of those people. Okay. I'm one of those people that closes people at a show where they go, wow. Oh, okay. Now I get it. Um, and then the challenge of course becomes getting them to the show. Yes. So, and I don't have all the answers for that. <laughs> <laughs> Usually it's a combination, you know, it's a combination of people calling people and then somebody comes and they go to somebody else. You know, to come you know check this out i saw this it was kind of cool or somebody hears a song that really connects and they're like you know what this song clicked now i want to check it out um it's a weird wild world i'm better at the songwriting advice and the being true to your own creativity and living your passion advice than i am at the marketing and making a living at it advice all right all right perfect so we'll we'll keep the the promotion part brief and we'll move on to say what is a <laughs> highlight uh that you care to share from your career what is a highlight um oh man there are a lot that's why i'm not uh, saying pick the highlight i just want a highlight <laughs> so today here's what's just popped into my head because i mentioned chuck Plotkin, this guy who mentored me, and he produced um, my first solo album when I moved to Los Angeles called Jealous Girl, okay. which, I, which I am still very proud of. It came out in 2006. And he cobbled together um, a group of musicians to play these songs uh, that I had written. And the first day we gathered in this house studio, um, this amazingly talented engineer named Ryan Freeland engineered it. And, um, he had called all these people who he called, who Chuck called were all these people who he had played with over the years who had, who had recorded. So Gary Malibur played drums and he was Van Morrison's drummer 
back in the late 60s and then played with uh, Steve Miller Band for years and years. And then, you know, was on tour with um, Mark Cohn and all these uh, just like incredible people. Um, Jennifer Condos played bass and um, she played with Bruce Springsteen and recorded with Bruce Springsteen on The Ghost of Tom Joad, which is a gorgeous album, I think. And, um, and had been on tour with, uh, she had just come off tour with Ray LaMontagne when, when she came in to play this album and, and she, I can't even tell you how many people, Jackson Brown, all, I mean, like she's amazing. Um, and then Mark Goldenberg played lead guitar and again, same suit of people, same, same crowd of people that, that they're, they're all playing with. Okay. Um, and and we're all gathered for the first day of tracking and I walk in and all these people are sitting there looking at me and they all said, God, Sarah, you know, this is such a great batch of songs. Thanks for having us. And I went into That's the awesome. kitchen and I, and I just started sobbing. I just, I couldn't control. I was weeping uncontrollably. I was so embarrassed, but I was so, it was, I was so overcome with the fact that, that, that I was doing something that I loved that, that demanded that I do it. It's not even just that I loved it because sometimes it can be the, and, and as anyone who, who lives this life or who lives the creative life will tell you it, it, it can sometimes be really heartbreaking in a sad way and in a challenging way that, you know, that I was doing this thing that demanded to be done. Yeah. And yet I had come into this place, no matter what happened after that, everything that I'd done up to that had led me to this place with these people who were touching legends, who were legends, who were, who had looked at me with a smile and a wide open space ready to, to make their mark on these songs. And they had said, wow, this is really great. Thanks for having us. Like, we're happy to dance with you. And it just made my life. It was really cool. And then, you know, we went to work. I can only imagine like how that would feel like have like, as you mentioned, like legends or people who have worked with legends before and them all give you that validation that this is really good work and we're happy to do something on it. So yeah, that I, I'm sure I can understand why you ran off to the kitchen and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, if not cry, do a little jig or something like that. Yeah, you know? I did it all. I did it all. Yeah. <laughs> a crying jig. A uh, crying jig. All right. So that, that is, uh, that is amazing. So, um, uh, what do you want your listeners, like your audience to take away and remember about your performance, whether it's hearing that new single online or coming to see your live show? What do you want them to take away thinking that was, I, I feel this from that performance? That's exactly what I want them to take away. I want them to feel that it's okay to feel. That it, it's the thing that I've been teaching myself um, pretty much my entire life. Um, and I think that's the thing that as humans we often have the hardest time with that it is the most natural thing in the world to feel and to feel deep emotion and deep connection. And we're so scared of it and we push it off so hard and we judge it so much. Um, and 
it's a beautiful thing to feel, to feel happy, to feel sad, to feel, see, this is where it this goes back to the oatmeal, banging on the oatmeal cans. And we're all just like five years old or 15 years <laughs> old or whatever we are. This, you know, there's that song in nursery school that if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, boom, boom. Yeah. And, you know, it all goes back to that. Like, why can't we, what is it that's so big, bad and scary about feeling that we spend our entire lives trying to, shield ourselves from it that's what music does for me anyway and so that's what that's what i want people to take away okay awesome so it's okay to feel that's that is that is good to, that's that's a good uh thing to get across you know uh, you you want them to feel all right to experience your music yeah and feel however it makes you feel amen all right Okay, so I have one final question for you. Before we get to that question, though, where can people find you and your music online? All right. Well, the easiest thing, you know, if you're looking for a one-stop shop with all the links, is my website. And that is sarahdashu.com. Sarah with an H and Dashu is like Cashew with a D. Um, And then I'm on all the... If you type Sarah Dashu into Spotify or iTunes or YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, you will find me. All right, great. So um, the new single is out now, um, about last night. You also have uh, single Shatter. And you mentioned you recorded one other single. Uh, what is that one? And is that one out yet? Or is that one it still is to come out? not out yet. That's going to come uh, either next month or in January. And that one is called You Don't Know It Yet. And it's a totally different. It's, it's a little bit more Johnny Cash. Okay. Uh, uh, styling than these two, which I think are a little bit more blues, soulful blues rock i don't even know exactly what you'd call it i always have a hard time categorizing mine except that you don't know it yet is definitely johnny cash um uh and it's like two minutes and 20 seconds and it's uh it's very upbeat so it's like a positive protest okay all right cool you don't know it yet we'll have to keep an eye open for that let me know when that comes out and i will uh let my audience know about it as well um, so the final question of the show today is Sarah Dashu, or let me say that again. Uh, <laughs> I said Dashu, like I thought at the beginning. Um, okay. Sarah Dashu, how do you live uncontained? Uh, <laughs> do you want me to re-explain the question for you? No, I don't. It's just that, okay. you know, it's, and it should be really easy, right? Um, how do I live uncontained? You know what? I live uncontained when I stop thinking about it so much. I live uncontained by enjoying every day and by saying, no matter what is going on in the outside world or in my life, I am going to go enjoy something. I'm going to go feel something. I'm going to go make some music. I'm going to go love somebody. I'm going to go play with my dog. Um, I'm going to go try to take in some beauty. Okay. All right. Perfect. I I couldn't have uh, said it better myself. So I want to thank you for joining me today 
here on Uncontained and uh, sharing your story from uh, growing up on a boat to uh, putting out uh, putting out singles and uh, playing music. Thank you. And shooting music videos floating on a um, pink flamingo. <laughs> With another highlight, I gotta say. Exactly. Never done that before. Exactly. You thank, know who? Thank who, you so much for talking with me. This is a great treat. Yeah, it, it was really fun. And I have one final thing for you to do, Sarah. Okay. Would, would you do me the favor of signing off the show tonight? All right. This is Sarah Dashu. I live uncontained, and I want you to do it too. And that does it for another episode of Uncontained. Thank you for listening, and thank you to my guest, Sarah Dashu, for coming and hanging out with us here for a little while. Make sure you find her online on her social medias, which the links are in the show notes. And also check out her videos on YouTube. Uh, The holidays, as I mentioned, are coming up close. If you are thinking about getting uncontained merch for uh, you or someone in your family or just a friend, if you want it by Christmas, you should place your order soon. I will have the links on my Facebook page, Instagram, and Twitter as well. Plus, uh, you can also support the show, as always, by doing some Christmas shopping through the Amazon link at the top of the page of uncontainedpod.com. Thank you for listening, and as always, live uncontained. And here's the bonus track, Just As I Promised, a brand new single from Sarah. This is about last night. Enjoy. About last night. About the dark. About the lines slapping across my eyes About the water About the aim All the years of compromise Everything still known Everything feeling like a lie About the dolphins Swimming in
Take off your shroud and 